Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that again. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So there's been a lot going on this week, right? And what's so interesting is last week at the end of the show, I don't know what was going on with the equipment, but it just kind of decided you wanted to shut itself down. So that's why I was trying to hurry up and say goodbye. You know, I think we only had like four or five minutes left, so I wanted to state that. And also last week I was talking about Zora Neale Hurston and her grave, and I said Toni Morrison found it, and that was an error on my end. It was actually Alice Walker. And I just got it confused, happens sometimes. I get their books mixed up sometimes, too. So please forgive me, and I want to thank you for correcting me on that. I appreciate it because I don't want to give, you know, the wrong information out there. And then also sometimes, you know, I'll be talking, and I'm actually two, three conversations ahead of what I'm talking about or two or three topics ahead of what, you know, I'm talking about at that time. So I appreciate that. So I wanted to address that first to let people know Alice Walker was the one who found Zora Neale Hurston's grave and put the gravestone out there. So I got it mixed up. That's on me. Sorry about that. But I'm happy that someone corrected me and I'm able to come back and let you guys know. So I didn't want to forget to say that. And so going back to, you know, earlier um, last Sunday, we did our show in the afternoon, and that evening, Oprah gave her speech, what have you, and you have all these people um, talking about Oprah for president, and it started trending all over the place, and I'm sitting here looking at it. Now, full disclosure, well, no, some disclosure, I absolutely adore Oprah. Anyone who knows me knows that. I may not agree with all her politics, but I loves me some Oprah, just like I loves me some Whoopi Goldberg. And Lord knows her and I will clash on some, you know, some politics and other ideological views that she has and that I have because they clash. But it does not make me dislike them as people per se. And so I just wanted to say that, but Oprah – Don't do it, girl. These white feminists will have you out here doing all kind of crazy shit. Don't let them talk you into this because, see, what's so interesting about it is these same people who are like, run, Oprah, run, they're going to be the same ones angry with her when she has to do drone strikes. And, you know, I need for you guys to understand, you know, while someone may be president of the country, that does not mean they get to dictate each and everything. You know, you have laws on the books. You have experts over here. You have experts over there. You come together, you meet, you talk about these things. I guess you try to find the most pragmatic way, the most diplomatic way that you can. But it's not a dictatorship. And that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump is in so much trouble, because he wants to be a dictator. But going back to the Oprah thing, You know, they're kind of teasing you guys and playing with it. Oh, well, definitely, you know, she's going to wait to see what the people say. And what's interesting is when Donald Trump won, 
um, someone had spoken to Oprah about running for president, and she said she had thought about it in the past and felt that she wasn't qualified. But after Donald Trump, she was like, oh, oh. So I don't know. Personally, I don't think she should do it. I don't really think she's going to do it, but you just never know. And like I said, with some of these white feminists out here and the way they get to pushing some of this stuff, you know, we need to be cautious about it in the first damn place. So I want to make sure you guys understand that because you got to remember 53% of white women did vote for this Donald Trump. So keep that in mind. So anyway, it's a bunch of things that I kind of want to go over today. Um, one story, and I'm going to go ahead and tell this, and then I'm going to read off what we're talking about for the show today. But I want you guys to go out. There's an article out there talking about a teacher in Ohio. So apparently there was this white teacher, and he told a student that, you know, they will form an angry mob and lynch them if, you know, if they don't do their homework. So you got white teachers telling black students, that they will form lynch mobs, angry mobs, and lynch them. What kind of shit is this if they don't do their homework? And I'm like, what year are we living in? And, I mean, the thing is is that I had a conversation with someone, you know, last night, as a matter of fact, and we were talking about all this shit that's happening in this country regarding racism and sexism, homophobia, trans, all of that, right, xenophobia just in general. And they were like, this is new, all of this, where is it coming from? And I had to remind them, this is nothing new. This has always been there. But it kind of just formed a little scab over it. And having Donald Trump and the white supremacists, white nationalists, alt-righters, libertarians, all them folks, white globalists, what they did is that they made it okay to be racist again. They made it okay to be, you know, misogynist again, to be homophobic again, to be transphobic, xenophobic, all of these things, you know. And what's interesting is, you know, they try to use the Bible because, again, you got to remember white evangelicals back Donald Trump like nobody's business, right? And what they do is they try to use the Bible to excuse these types of behaviors. So we're going to get into that. So today's show, let me go ahead and read this because it's like there were a bunch of things that happened this week that I want to talk about, and I'm going to talk about Hawaii in a minute. But anyway, today's show is Dear White America, Ally Theater, Tokenism, Exceptionalism, Shocking. You know, a little shuck and drive thing going on over there. So I just said, please join us as we discuss many different issues. There is so much fodder that I'm not sure where to begin. Per Donald Trump, black people, what do you have to lose? Black Americans in Atlanta live in crime-infested neighborhoods that are falling apart, per Donald Trump, right? And according to Donald Trump, Mexicans are allegedly bringing drugs to America, raping women, and I'm assuming he means white women, and, you know, there's some bad hombres or have the bad hombre syndrome, right, per Donald Trump, and taking American jobs. Now, I'm thinking they're talking about taking white American jobs. You know, in, in, I guess it's okay for you to go and pick strawberries and watermelons and cotton, but how dare you want to sit at the computer screen and cold? And the truth of the matter is most Americans don't even want to do that shit. 
They don't want to try to code no computers or do anything like that, you know. And so I just find it interesting when I see all of this craziness, right, and these things that are coming out of his mouth. So, again, you know, I guess the Latinos or Latinx folks taking the white jobs, you know, instead of keeping to the jobs that have been designated, you know, for them per the systemic and institutionalized racism. So, anyway, you know, taking American jobs, clogging the emergency rooms. You know, how dare you want to go to the emergency room if your kid is sick or if your leg is holding on by one vein, you know, and, you know, they're overburdening the welfare and disability roles. Well, you know what? He's pointing to the blacks and the Latinx folks on that. And what's interesting is someone told him the other day that, you know, it's not only black people who are on welfare. And he was like, well, then who else is on it? Who is it? You know, he, he had no clue. You know, and I mean, you know, when you start looking at Donald Trump, that's that old school type of racist. That's that Archie Bunker bullshit, right? So anyway, you know, again, you know, the this is per Donald Trump in regards to Latinx folks. You know, they refuse to learn English, allegedly. And so, you know, just some horrible, horrible shit. He also feels that Puerto Ricans have no food and electricity because they are allegedly lazy and deserve to suffer. You know, and, and that's Donald Trump. You know, they're way off over there out in all of that water, and, you know, we can't get to them, and you know, all of this going on, and, you know, they're still having issues in Puerto Rico. I mean, it should be 100% back up on the grid, but it's not. And people need to be asking why. Do not let this story fall in between the cracks. It's important that we stay on top of that. Now, um, what's his name? Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg from New York. He supervised, you know, the efforts in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And it seems like everything is pretty good. You know, it may not be 100% what it was before the hurricane, but they are, they are in much better shape than Puerto Rico you need to be asking yourself why and just pay attention to what's happening. Continue to question. Do not forget what those people are going through over there. And what's interesting, he was talking about Nigerians coming to America, and once they get here, that they're never going to want to go and live in their huts over in Nigeria again. Now, this is Donald Trump saying all this crazy shit, right? And he basically called the entire continent, you know, shithole countries. Right? Allegedly. And, you know, um, it's, it's so funny because Africa is a continent, and I believe there are 54 countries in Africa. And the truth of the matter is, you know, you got these people calling themselves the Middle East, but if you go and you look up there, they are on the continent of Africa, which is why sometimes I look at some of these Israelis and I'm like, you know, what what the hell is really going on? But I'm going to leave that alone today because if I get started on that, it will be hard to pull me away from that, and especially what's happening now with social media and Internet and, you know, a lot of the policing that's taking place now. And, you know, I need you guys to pay attention to these things because apparently America and Israel is, you know, um, exacting some authoritarianism in regards to social media, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Just go and look it up, Facebook, you know, dealing with um, 
you know, the Israelis and the Americans on how to clean up Facebook. There's a lot of stuff happening around that. So it will be to your benefit to get more familiar with what's happening there, right? And so there's been some dispute as to whether um, Donald Trump called Haiti a shithole. You know, he's saying, and some other folks were like, well, when he said that, he had just spoken about Africa. So, you know, some people are attributing the shithole comments to, you know, Haiti and Africa, and I think El Salvador was the other country, and it's just it's just the whole thing is a mess. But he was saying, allegedly, that Haitians have AIDS. Just crazy, crazy ignorant stereotypes that have been around for a while. And, you know, I know a lot of Haitians have worked really hard to overcome those stereotypes, right? So, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to revisit that. And so, basically... Earlier, a few minutes ago, I was talking about Hawaii. I have absolutely no idea what his stance is on what happened in Hawaii, you know, with the emergency sirens or the emergency messages that went out, had people running for shelter, trying to bunker themselves down, and he was on the golf course. He was on the golf course. He didn't address it then. He still hasn't addressed it unless something happened in the last hour, you know, because I've been doing a few other things, so I haven't been able to keep up with all his tweets, all right? And so, but I don't think he said anything about Hawaii. And as the president of the United States, you would have thought that he would have taken time out to try to comfort not only the, you know, the people of Hawaii, but also the rest of the country because if, you know, if if um, ballistic missiles were headed to Hawaii, you know, there's a good chance that they may have been coming to the mainland again. But again, you know, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, that Hawaii place, they're all over there in the water somewhere. So I guess the only real United States is the mainland. I don't know what the hell is going through this guy's mind, but I just want you all to pay attention to that. And so I'm pretty sure I'm waiting on him to say that the Hawaiians should not have listened to the fake news and the fake emergency drills and all of that. They should have known better, right? You know, I don't know. We'll see what he has to say. But as of this point, I have not heard anything that he's that he you know that he said to address what happened in Hawaii, right? And so again, uh huh. I just want you guys to pay attention to what's going on. And originally, the show that I was going to do today was going to talk about um, capitalism and exceptionalism and a few other things. And then Donald Trump just happened to add more to it to give me more fodder to um, talk about today. So, you know, it is allowing me to kind of broaden the message, which is kind of good, because then I can touch other subjects or kind of incorporate some other things um, that I'm thinking about. So as I've stated before, I do encourage you to go out to Google and do your own research, to go and read some books, to, you know, familiarize yourself with these different things, because is important, and to know the more you know, I think the better you can do. Because as for me, over the years, the more and more that I've read and gotten a better understanding and talking to different people and, you know, in some cases being reprimanded and corrected, which I appreciate because, you know, it's like this. If someone corrects you 
And I'm not talking just anybody. I'm talking about someone that you respect, you know, and 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 you get offended. Depending on what the situation, it may be an ego thing, you know, but in, in some cases it's about growth, personal growth, and, and and kind of just expanding your horizons. And, you know, sometimes to look at things from a different perspective, and that's important. Now, you got some other folks that will be in your life and call themselves reprimanding you and calling you out or what the fuck ever. And, and sometimes they're on some straight-up bullshit. you got to learn how to differentiate between the two. But I'm not going to get started on that right now because I will end up going straight down the rabbit hole. So this is MLK Weekend. I'm not sure what you all are doing for, the, you know, the days of service and you went to any celebrations, if you read any books, if your kids did any poems about MLK, I'm not sure what's going on in your world, but I just thought what a hell of a way to kick off the MLK weekend with Donald Trump calling Africa, and which is a continent, and other countries shitholes, right? And, you know, what I found really interesting is the news conference, you know, with him signing the proclamation and having all of the black people, you know, his blacks around him, right? And Uncle Ben getting to the podium and giving a word or two. And the same thing with Isaac Newton Ferris Jr., you know, and, and Alveda King was, oh, not King, Alveda Ferris was there as well. Is her last name Ferris the King? See, now I'm confused. So it's one of them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what was interesting about her is Fox News gave her a show. That didn't last very long. So I don't know who was the brains behind that. But anyway, getting back to the day he signed that proclamation and watching, you know, all of his blacks, around him. So, you know, um, what's that chick's name? The Pearson lady, Katrina, Karina, Catherine, the one that used to do all of the talking points on the different network tele- network news channels. And she was um, she was there. I saw Paris Dunard. So there were a bunch of folks there, a bunch of black Republicans. And so, you know, of course he had to surround himself with his people. And so I'm sitting there looking at Isaac Newton Ferris, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of shit going through my head, which I will not share right now, but I will tell you the shit was funny. I I was laughing my ass off. So, you know, um, you'll hear me talking about self-promoting opportunists. You'll hear me talking about tokenism. You'll hear me talking about, you know, certain people out here shucking and jiving, you know, dancing and singing for their dinner, you know, and and all of these different things that are happening. And some of you get mad, good. I want you to get mad. You know, what's interesting is, you know, sometimes I throw shit in there to make you think and make you do some research. And what's interesting is sometimes I'll throw something in there that I may not personally agree with or believe or think. 
But I feel that we need to kind of put some of that information out there. And so um, I just thought the whole situation was, you know, somewhat ironic. So anyway, just, wow, just look at what's going on. And so I'm looking at some of the people that are out here, the talking heads, talking about Donald Trump and, you know, how all of a sudden now he's racist. You know, it took this long. And it took him, you know, doing backflips and everything he can to offend as many people of color as he can. And you're finally getting, you know, enough intestinal fortitude, I guess, you know, enough guts and courage to state out loud and in public that Donald Trump is a racist. And what's interesting is watching white people finally admitting that. It's very few of them. But there are some of them that are finally admitting it. Some of them already knew it, and some of them had already stated it. But the ones, some of the ones now is very begrudgingly that they're making these statements about Trump, right? And so, you know, sitting back watching them and watching the discomfort, not only with some of the white people that are now admitting that he's racist, even with some of the blacks that are out here that are now saying that he's racist. And what's interesting is when I was talking earlier about, you know, American jobs being taken away by the Latinx folks, you know, there are some blacks that are espousing those same talking points. And so when I hear it, depending on the situation and how safe I feel, you know, I'll engage. But I will only engage so far, right, because – You know, I try to look at the situation, I try to talk to the person, kind of get a better understanding about their politics and their stance in life and, you know, about who they are, their character. And so, you know, I try to kind of tailor the conversation to that because there are some people, you know, that that will only get it if you just throw a big-ass box of shit at them. Other folks, you know, you still throw shit on at them, but you kind of drizzle it with a little honey to try to make it more palatable. And so it's just interesting. But, you know, some of the people that are angry with Donald Trump is not because they don't believe what he said. Some of them agree with him. The problem is, you know, his racism and what he's saying and doing now isn't very polite. And it's not stated, you know, very politely, and he's not showing off his cold gate smile. That's the problem. If you're going to be a racist, they want you to be a polite racist and show us, you know, you're pearly white. And so, you know, it's really interesting because we go back and we were talking about, um, you know, um, Jeff Sessions, right, and a number of other people. Yeah, they're racist, but they're polite about it. You know, they try to be, quote, unquote, dignified about it or nuanced about it or however you want to put it. But racism is racism, whether you nuance it or not. And, and But, you know, they want you to be polite about it. And so, you know, Donald Trump with his anger and his fuckery and his, you know, kiss my ass type of mentality, they don't like that. And so it's presenting a problem because, again, this has been here all along. It's been happening all along. But, you know, they try to throw a little sugar on it. You know, if you make a chocolate cake, 
and the icing is made of shit and you throw a little bit of powdered sugar on top of it, it's still shit iced cake. You know, it doesn't matter how much sugar you throw on it. You know, it's still going to taste like shit. And so, you know, we talk about black people and the code switching. White people do the same thing. And, you know, I don't see a lot of people talking about it, but they do. So I'm sitting here, you know, watching the cable news channels, and I hear some some of these white pundits saying, oh, well, don't judge Donald Trump by the words he's using. Wait until the end of his term and then judge him by what he accomplished in his four years and possibly eight years. That's not the same rhetoric they were using with, you know, President Obama. And so the whole thing is just really interesting as to how they're trying to basically flip that script and put some spin on it. And I need for you guys to pay attention to what's happening and see what is going on. And so, you know, it's just, you know, it's just bullshit. I mean, there's no other way I can put this. And what's interesting with Donald Trump and his stance and what's happening with him now and, you know, why he's why it seems like he is out of control. And so, you know, you all hear me talking about folks that want to contain and control other people. And, you know, what's interesting is Donald Trump is one of those people that they are trying to contain and control, but, you know, it, it's not working very well. And what's happening with him now is we're watching him and, you know, we're living this bullshit because it's not just watching it on television. We're living it because there are a lot of people out here that have become more emboldened and empowered. And let me make sure I make myself very clear. White people aren't the only ones that can be racist. You know, you have some Latinx folks that are racist. You have some Asian folks that are racist. And, 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 you know, it, it, it's just what it is. And you've heard me talking about anti-blackness and, you know, what's happening globally in regards to this. And so when I talk about some of these things, and, you know, sometimes I'm talking about a specific person, and normally I will specify, but what's interesting is you can take that person's name out and put a few other people, you know, put their names in, and it's the same old bullshit. And I need for you to understand, but what's happening now with Trump is he is having a harder time, you know, harnessing his anger. And one of the reasons why he's as angry as he is right now is because he is not in control of everything and everyone. He thought he was going to be able to come into this job, control everything and everyone, say hop, jump, skip, do the hokey pokey, whatever, and you will do it and not give him a hard time, which is why, you know, he's trying his damnedest to make these athletes not kneel. Because, see, the thing is, is that not, you know, putting your hand over your heart and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, which he doesn't know, or singing the Star-Spangled Banner, which he does not know, uh, you know, basically when you're making that allegiance or you're making that pledge or you're showing that dedication, the way he sees it is, you know, you're honoring and paying homage to him and the other white folks 
that are in charge, right? And so he feels that when you kneel or you turn your back or you sit down and refuse to stand, I mean, anything, protest, you know, he takes it as, you know, a personal affront, right, as a personal insult, him and quite a few others. And, again, I mean, it's like they want to deny that white supremacy exists, and, of course, they don't ever want to admit to their white male privilege, but just their reaction and and their insistence in those particular situations is nothing but more proof of their white supremacy and white male privilege because how dare you challenge them, right? So it's been a lot happening here. And so one of the things, you know, there are a number of things that I want to go over today and that I want to talk about, but, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of talk about immigrants and who should and who should not be in this country. And regarding Haitians, you know, with Donald Trump saying send them back, you know, and people are upset about that, and I get that, and I understand it, and I'm upset about it too. But I guess my question to some of you would be, Obama deported tens of thousands of Haitians. Did you speak out then? It's just a question, and I'm just asking a couple of questions, and I'm just trying to make you think. I want you to go out. I want to pique your interest. Go and Google and find out what's happening. I also would like for you to go and look up the First Naturalization Act of 1790. And, you know, according to that particular act, most of these immigrants that are in this country right now would not have been allowed to come to and or stay in America. You know, and what we're seeing today right now is just another example of exclusion, oppression, and appropriation of others. You know, the others, them folks over there. So going back to the Naturalization Act of 1790, go back and I want you to look it up. And so you know how when when they create these laws and these acts and laws and policies, it establishes a precedent, right? And so subsequent laws are pretty much built on top of that. There there are some things that change, and there are some things that remain the same. And so that particular act would have made it impossible for most of today's immigrants to become American citizens. So let me see here. There is this article. When was this written? June, July 4th of 2016. And the title of this article is, The U.S. Has Come a Long Way Since Its First Highly Restrictive Naturalization Act. And this was written by Evan Taparada. I'm sure I'm destroying your name, but forgive me. And so this is on PRI.org. And so basically um, it explains the Naturalization Act, and it gives you some critical information here, and I'll read this part right here. In order for someone to apply for citizenship under the Naturalization Act of 1790, they needed to have lived in the country for at least two years. They also had to be a free white person and prove that they had behaved as a man of good moral character. And apparently this is still a standard of today's naturalization law, right? And, and of course, that's come under challenge. So I want you to go 
and and look that up. But with this here, in this particular article, it talks about the Declaration of Independence and how it says that all men are created equal, you know, but when it comes to Native Americans and the free blacks or free African Americans at that time, the slaves, the indentured servants, and Asians, they weren't equal enough to become American citizens under that act in 1790, right, the Naturalization Act of 1790. I need for you to go and look this up because there were some changes that were made. You know, it went from two years to 14 years of required residency. Um, And then basically with women, there, you know, in order for a woman to become a citizen or to get their citizenship, it had to be tied to their husbands. That was in 1855. 1868 through 1870, you know, um, it talked about abolition and the end of the Civil War. I mean, it didn't talk about it, but it was during that time period, right? And with you know, it talks a little bit about the 14th Amendment, and I want you guys to go back, and I need for you to go and read the 13th Amendment as well as the 14th Amendment to kind of get a better understanding of what was happening at that time, and especially what was happening with the emancipated slaves. In addition to, you know, researching and understanding what was happening with the emancipated slaves, I also want you to go and do some research about how um, Chinese people were then brought into the United States to basically take on the jobs that were once held by slaves. And, you know, it, it would be to your benefit to get a better understanding of um, Asians, but particularly Chinese people and their relationship and their roles in the United States. You know, educate yourselves on this because this will come back. And the test will be, you know, talking with other people because, you know, one of the things with me when I was younger and I would have these conversations and I would I didn't necessarily have the language or even, you know, even, you know, the knowledge. And in some cases it's like I know I'm right but I can't prove it and, and you know, it's frustrating when you're trying to have these type of conversations and not necessarily have the facts and the data to support your particular argument. And that's one of the things that I do pride myself on um, in regards to this show is I encourage you to go and read and think and live for yourself. You know, I don't want you repeating my talking points. I don't want you to say, well, Kim said this or Kim said that. No. I want you to know and understand this for yourself. Right, and so back in 1898, again, you can find this in this in this article, the article I was telling you about. And in 1898, basically, you know, at that point, it said that children of immigrants born on American soil were automatically a citizen. And so, what's so interesting about that is when I hear some of these, you know, races and white supremacists talking about specifically Latinx people. And and their so-called anchor babies, right? Well, you know, lo and behold, you know, a story came out this week. And, I mean, this is nothing new. I knew about it, you know, beforehand. But it's funny how it's being illuminated at this point. And you have Russian women coming to America 
and having their babies on American soil. And so what you need to understand about that is that that child becomes an American citizen, and when that child turns 21, he can bring, he can sponsor his family to come here, you know, and he can travel in between both of the countries, you know, without, you know, any real complications or problems. So you need to understand that. I mean, even with Melania and Little Baron, you know, he was born here in America, so, I mean, it gives her some leverage. And so between 1907 and 1923, basically it was saying that women's citizenship can be revoked and Asians remain barred from naturalization. And so, you know, this is a really good article, and I want you guys to go and do some reading. And I've shared with you all before that it was until 1924 that indigenous people, American Indians, became American citizens. Now, I'm going to leave that alone, considering this was their country. It is and it was, you know. And so, yeah, just go and um, look. You know, it'll talk about, it's talking about the civil rights, movement um, in regards to the end of the naturalization restrictions based on race and ethnicity, and, you know, it's a lot more. So, you know, I find that very interesting. And so I would encourage you guys to go out and learn, you know, more about what it takes to become an American citizen. Um, learn more about the green card process and, you know, naturalizations. And in addition to that, you know, about how even now, let me give you an example because it's easier to do that, do it that way. With DACA, some of the immigrants to this country that were brought here as children by their, you know, by their family, you know, many of them serve in the military, have been gainfully employed, have their own businesses, all of that, right? And they may be, you know, everything may be snatched from them, and they may be deported out of this country. And so right now they're playing a game in Washington, and to me it's like a game of chicken, right? And, you know, these people are absolutely terrified. And they have every reason to be terrified because no one really knows what the hell is getting ready to happen, you know, in this country. And, you know, what's extremely important for you guys to understand about those comments made by Donald Trump when he said, um, you know, get them out of here in reference to the Haitians. Donald Trump has the power to remove these people from this country and to kick them out. And you need to understand that, and that is where a lot of the uproar is coming from in regards to why, you know, you have those of us that are speaking out about this. He can sign a piece of paper, and they're gone. You know, and it's just, it was unfortunate that, you know, it was the anniversary of the hurricane in Haiti when all of this just totally exploded on the news. And so um, go learn, read more. And like I said, you know, Barack Obama deported tens of thousands of Haitians. He deported, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of, you know, Latinx folks. Um, 
what happens is with ICE, they have their own jail facilities or holding facilities, their own airline, all of that, and it makes a lot of money. And this is why you hear us talking about the private prison system. And, again, I've talked to you all about Ava DuVernay's um, documentary called The 13th, or I like to say 13th, and it's important that you, go out, that you all go out and, and watch that. It will explain a lot of things, and it will make a lot of this shit make more sense. And you're like, oh, so that's what happened. That's how that came about. But I want you guys definitely to go out and read the 13th and 14th Amendments. It will be to your benefit. And so the show that I originally had planned for this week, um, some of it was built on top of the call that I got last week in which, you know, the quote-unquote black caller stated that he had a mentorship program for young black men and You know, he had a group of young men, you know, in his program and how there was one young man who stacked his coins um, and and did what this guy felt was, um, you know, the right thing to do. And, And this guy felt as though this young man was really serious about wanting to progress and and utilize capitalism to enrich himself himself and empower himself. And so allegedly that young man had acquired two gas stations and some other business. And so the caller was critiquing the other young men that were allegedly part of that group, and he couldn't understand why those other young men did not fall follow the pattern of the one quote-unquote, exceptional young man, right? And so I stated to him that with that one young man, he was the exception and not the rule. And I know some of you are like, where is she going with this? Where I'm going with that is after Donald Trump stated that Africa was a shithole country and even though it's a continent, but we'll just leave it there. And and allegedly about El Salvador and Haiti as well, you started seeing people from these quote-unquote alleged shithole countries posting all of these beautiful pictures and posting information about different people that came from the different countries and what they accomplished and also how they have made contribution to America and America's culture. And all of that is, you know, wonderful. However, what I take, you know, issue with or umbrage or whatever you want to call it is you should not have to be quote-unquote exceptional for someone to recognize your, you know, your humanity. And you should not have to prove yourself by showing and talking about all of these exceptional people that came from these alleged shithole countries. That's bullshit. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I, I talk about how you know, white people, and I mean, some black people do this too, and other people of color, they'll they'll uphold Oprah, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, a number of people as, you know, being exceptional, and why aren't the rest of us like that? And so, you know, what angers me when that happens 
is basically you have these people and they're trying to throw all of this in your face. And then in turn, unfortunately, many of us respond with respectability politics in an effort to have these people recognize your humanity. And so, you know, again, last week when a young man called and he was talking about capitalism, you know, I addressed capitalism and I spoke specifically about racialized capitalism, right? And I also, you know, disclosed that I'm a proud black socialist and he stated that that was my problem. So anyway, you know, for some of you, you may not necessarily understand what I mean when I say racialized capitalism. So I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week, and she was talking about, you know, the racialized capitalism. We had a conversation about that. And she was talking about D.G. Kelly, and I posted some of that. I retweeted some of that on Twitter, and I probably should start posting to the Facebook page again. I just, eh, you know, I just kind of lost. I don't know. So anyway, I'll try to do that. So I wanted to explain racialized um, capitalism to you guys. And so I found some um, talking points, you know, and definitions that I wanted to share with you to kind of give you a better understanding. And, you know, it was interesting because she recommended D.G. Kelly. And in one article um, in the Boston Review, D.G. Kelly was talking specifically about Cedric Robinson. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with Cedric Robinson, I would encourage you to go out and look some information up about Cedric um, Robinson. He had he had written a number of books. He passed away in 2016. And he's written a number of books about social movements. He's written books talking about Marxism and Marxism's relationship and and importance in the black community. And so he's talked about a number of these things, and I believe that it would be to your advantage to actually go out there and get a better understanding as to who Cedric Robinson is, Cedric J. Robinson, and D.G. Kelly. And I'm going to go ahead and post some of that later, but um, there was an, you know, a review. This is in a Harvard Law Review. And the name of this particular article is called Racial Capitalism, and it's written by Nancy Leong. And I'm just going to read some of this to you because it's like I don't necessarily have the language nor the expertise to really sit here and, and, and present myself as such, but I do a lot of reading. And so I'm going to go ahead and you know read this off. So it says Racial Capitalism of deriving social and economic value from the racial identity of another person is a long-standing, common, and deeply problematic practice. This article is the first to identify racial capitalism as a systemic phenomenon and to undertake a closer or a close examination of its causes and consequences. So this particular article focuses on instances of racial capitalism in which white individuals and predominantly white institutions use non-white people to acquire social and economic value. Affirmative action doctrines and policies provide much of the impetus for this form of racial capitalism. 
These doctrines and policies have fueled an intense legal and social preoccupation with the notion of diversity, which encourages white individuals and predominantly white institutions to engage in racial capitalism by deriving value from non-white racial identity. Racial capitalism has serious negative consequences both for individuals and for society as a whole. The process of racial capitalism relies upon and reinforces commodification of racial identity, thereby degrading that identity by reducing it to another thing to be bought and sold. Commodification can also foster foster racial resentment by causing non-white people to feel used or exploited by white people in the superficial process of assigning value to non-whiteness within a system of racial capitalism displaces measures that would lead to a meaningful social reform. In an ideal society, racial capitalism would not occur. Given the imperfections of our current society, however, this article proposes a pragmatic approach to dismantling racial capitalism, one that recognizes that progress must occur incrementally. Such an approach would require a transition period of limited commodification during which we would discourage racial capitalism. Moreover, we would ensure that any transaction involving racial value is structured to discourage future racial capitalism. I briefly surveyed some of the various legal mechanisms that can be deployed to discourage racial capitalism through limited commodification. Ultimately, this approach will allow progress toward a society in which we successfully recognize and respect racial identity without engaging in racial capitalism. All right, so that was a lot. That was a handful, and this is just an introduction. It's not necessarily the article itself, right? And um, this is a 76-page PDF file. And, yeah, I'll post this um, a little bit later. But there were some interesting points there, Um and if you if you listen to what was said there, over the years, many of us, we've talked about cultural appropriation that falls within this, right? And what's interesting is the part that I really want to bring to your attention, I want all of it to come to your attention, but um, it was talking about how progress and some of these changes must occur incrementally, right? And so with that specifically right there, when I talk about that and I talk about uh, white Democrats, white progressive, white liberals, white moderates, and, and, and basically incremental progress. And so you know, I take some issue with that because with these particular groups of people, they want incremental progress as long as it doesn't inconvenience them or causes discomfort. And so, you know, that's where a lot of this debate comes in, right? And so I want you to go back and I want you to read that. There's another article called What is Racial Capitalism? And this is off the UC Davis um, University website. And I'm trying to figure out who wrote this. 
Ann O'Connor. So Ann O'Connor wrote this, and the date for this article, or it says the last date up, last time updated, October 9th, 2017. That's also a very good article for you to read. And, and well, I'll post it. I'll post it. And, but, you know, Cedric Robinson was part of the panel, and they spoke specifically about what is racial capitalism. And I know some of you are like, Kim, so where are you going? How does this relate to what you're talking about today? You know, I kind of incorporate that into what I'm talking about today in such a manner that we have people that are part of these different communities, like the feminist community or movement or the secular community or movement and LGBTQ community or movement, you know, the um, disabled community and movement. And you'll hear me and others talking about, yet again, cultural appropriation and, and, and basically how in many of these communities you will hear them talking about inclusion and diversity. And especially when they talk about diversity, I just call that the bias shuffle. So they just shuffle their biases around. But one of the things that you hear me going home on for many reasons and, and about many different communities is tokenism. And so what happens when, you know, when I talk about tokenism in some of these communities, I'm talking about and go back and, and listen to or read what I said about racial capitalism. What happens is, you know, the people of color or the white women or whomever that they have deemed as being worthy to represent them. Again, you know, I talk about people being able to contain, control, manipulate, and exploit other folks. So in regards to tokenism, that is what happens in in many of these situations. And basically what they do is, Again, they sell that exceptionalism, especially if it's happening in America, but they sell that token, the idea of exceptionalism as well as meritocracy, and they get tricked into believing that. And what's happening is they basically take their little token and they try to further their message. But, again, this is that, you know, black friend that always agrees with them. And what happens in many cases, and I can't say all, but in many cases, these people are not aware that they are being exploited, manipulated, and used. And in many cases, you are being used to perpetuate white supremacy. You understand? And they're using you as a shield to deflect any charges of racism or sexism or homophobia, and it's just absolutely amazing. And when I sit back and I see this and I start calling bullshit on it, you know, you hear all of these different, you know, excuses and response or responses from different people. And I just, you know, look at Uncle Ben, Ben Carson. Look at what role they have him play. You know, they got him praying. At the beginning of a meeting, they have him speaking after the president. 
you know, and the president is like, well, you know, you won't listen to me. You'll listen to him. And what's interesting is there was a woman that was in a meeting with the president, and he asked her where she was from, and she said New York. And, you know, he turned around and he asked her again, where are you from? And she stated Manhattan. And he said, no, where are your people from? And she said, you know, my you know, parents are from Korea. And he said, well, why isn't this pretty, you know, pretty Asian woman, or we'll just say pretty woman, helping us to negotiate with North Korea? And, of course, that made some people feel uncomfortable, right? And so I'm just, I mean, I don't know how else, how many examples I got to put in your face. You know, you see this every day. And so I'm getting ready to speed this up because, you know, we only got an hour and change left. And so what happens is when they have these people or they find their tokens or, you know, or whatever, and they put them out there, what's happening is with that particular face that they're putting out there to represent their blacks or their Muslims or or their Latinx folks or their gay people or trans people or whatever, what happens is with that particular situation, and I'm trying to address it, I'm trying to be somewhat sensitive about it, but there's really no way to do that. You know, it further it further perpetuates, it further um, creates, cultivates, fertilizes systemic and institutional racism within that particular, you know, community or institution. And that is why when you hear us, you know, sometimes talking about this, that is what we mean. And sometimes inadvertently the token does not realize how they're being used. But in other cases, they know exactly what's happening, and they don't care as long as it benefits them. And you have to be able to distinguish between the two. And so, again, when we talk about American exceptionalism, it's bullshit. When you talk about meritocracy, is bullshit. And what's interesting about the meritocracy um, issue now is basically what Donald Trump and his people are trying to do is set up, you know, a system built on meritocracy in regards to immigrants, which means there will be more people coming from, you know, Norway and more people coming from Switzerland and, and all of these other places, you know, that are white. And so I wanted to clarify something because, you know, when I start talking about the real white people being white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and um, and basically, you know, going through that, you know, there are some exceptions in there, especially if you're the wrong religion and God help you if you have no religion at all, you know, and, you know, Eastern Europeans, you know, you pretty much hang it up. And so I want you to go and 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 look that up. But what I'm saying here is we cannot continue to allow them to use exceptionalism as the most convenient answer to any complaints that we may lodge. You know, well, why can't you be like Oprah? I mean, again, deny, deflect, derail. And when we issue our complaints, you know, you know, of the disrespect that is shown towards us, what happens is, you know, 
we're thrown in a position in many cases to respond with the respectability politics, and it allows them to continue to perpetuate this bullshit. And so we have to stop doing that, and we have to stop engaging them. And this is why, you know, you have people out here, including myself to a certain degree out here, saying that we are not, we don't want to come to you and talk to you about racism. You know what the problem is. You see it, you live it. You know, if you can't talk to your relatives and friends and colleagues about racism, I mean, why the hell do you want to talk to me about it? And so, you know, what happens is, you know, in in many cases, we are positioned in, you know, very, very unfortunate way. But we have to stop engaging, you know, these people in the debates and the arguments because they know good and damn well what they're saying and doing. And what happens is these are diversion tactics, you know, and it's a way for them to deflect from the charges of white privilege and white supremacy and derail movements because that's what they want to do. And so Charles Blow um, made a and I'll read it. So, again, this comes from Charles Blow, and he says, stop debating the existence of racism when you are drowning in the proof of its existence. That's just a tactic to keep you fighting against the water until you go under. And that's very real, and it's true. And as long as they keep you fighting and keep you repeating yourself, and and keep you stagnated, you'll never make any progress. And unfortunately, that's what some of them want. So you need to learn how to be discerning and to gauge the situation and to get a better understanding. But as I've stated before, it is not my job to teach you about this. And someone's like, oh, well, why do you do the show? And la, 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 la. You know, I do the show for a number of reasons. And so, um, you know, we we have to get better at this. And what's interesting is what happened after Trump talked about these shithole countries. One of the things that I've seen some white people doing is trying to engage in oppression Olympics, right? And, well, my family came from so-and-so and so-and-so, and and all they had in their pocket was a nickel and a bunch of lint. So we had to overcome, but we overcame. Look at us now. Don't let them do that. Shut that down. And so what's interesting is when we do shut it down and confront it, they want to talk about that one black friend like Omarosa or Paris Denard, or Isaac Newton Ferris, or Uncle Ben, any of them folks, you know, and, and, and you know, <laughs> I was going to add another name, but I'm leaving that shit alone. I've been watching that fuckery, and just it's just a mess. And so, I mean, my question is, why must black and brown people, or particularly people of color, be absolutely exceptional for white people to even think about considering their humanity. So, again, I'm just saying, you know, I want you to think about this. And when they start participating in the Oppression Olympics, they're saying this and, and they're trying to justify in a, in a roundabout kind of way for some of them the, the shithole country's comment. 
And see, this is the thing. This whole situation that we're talking about and that we're dealing with has never truly ever been about immigration. And I need you to understand that, you know. And so, again, they want to tell the stories about their immigrant families and all of that. Don't entertain it. Just move the hell on, you know. And, you know, they want us to understand them. And when I say understand them, in this particular situation, I'm talking about the working class whites, the poor whites that helped to elect Donald Trump and how they are being humanized. Yeah, humanized. Not only them, but the white nationalists, you know, white supremacists, alt-riders. They're being humanized as well. This is why you're hearing the outrage about the New York Times and the Atlantic and some of the stories that have been written since, you know, really since Donald Trump threw his hat into the race. And, you know, they want us, people of color, to understand them, but yet they, they aren't trying to take time to understand us, you know, and and – they want us to understand their sorrows and what's happened to them, and they want us to humanize them. And what's interesting is way too many of them still refer to us as savages and animals and, you know, other pejoratives, you know. And what's interesting is you'll have people out here telling us to try to appeal to the morality of these white people that are creating this particular dysfunction and, you know, and, you know, pray for them, you know, or just try harder and, and, and they'll see one day. No, 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 no. That is not how that works because, see, this is the thing, and I need for this to hit home. And if you don't get anything else from this show today, I need you to get this. We're trying to appeal to the moral compass of some of these racist white people. We're trying to appeal to their morality. The thing is, is that they believe that what they're doing and saying is moral. And this is why I say you're talking to a brick fucking wall. And what happens, you know, you hear us talking about white tears and white fragility. And what happens is they feel that their feelings take priority over our liberation and freedom. You know, liberation is good for countries that they want to take over, you know, or colonize. So they go over and they create domestic strife. But liberation is a bad thing for black Americans, right? We shouldn't be protesting for anything. Per Donald Trump, we're ingrates. You know, and so (laughs) black people, people of color are being hurt. And it gets to a point where you have to stop caring about caring about upsetting white people. You have to stop caring about white people who will only support you conditionally. You have to stop caring about the white people who tell you if you do something that they do not like, that they're going to pull their support from you. Fuck them. 
let them go. And what's interesting with some of these white people who feel as though they get to determine and dictate how we react to racism, you know, and also they get to dictate the definition of racism and and and, and what we should do to get around racism. You know, and what's funny, what's interesting about that is you have some of them saying that colonialism is no longer allowed to be utilized as an excuse. Now, for those of you that are sitting there raising your eyebrows, you know, we've heard a lot of white people say that, but Barack Obama said it too. And I'll give you the exact quote because I know some of you are like, she's lying. He didn't say that. Let me read it to you. Barack Obama said, as powerful as powerful as history is, and you need to know that history, at some point you have to look to the future and say, okay, we didn't get a good deal then, but let's make sure that we're not making excuses for not going forward. And that came out of Barack Obama's mouth. And he was talking to some African students and it's important that you understand that because, again, we are living in the time of Donald Trump and Steve Bannon, pinky in the brain. Look at what they're saying to black Americans. You know, look at what they're saying to the African diaspora. I can only imagine what's getting ready to happen and what else they're going to say because, see, I need for you to understand you know, after Trump made that shithole country statement, apparently, allegedly, he was on the phone that evening calling people outside of the White House and, and friends to find out what the reaction was. And basically, he took a victory lap. See, he's appealing to his particular base. And you need to understand that. And again, he can say and do any damn thing he wants. Most of his people are not going to leave him. And that's true. And we've only been through one year of this. We still got three more to go. But I need for you all to understand that even though he only has three more years, he's making changes. He's he's appointing really, really young white folks to these um you know, to these um judicial positions. And many of these are lifetime appointments. Read Go back and look it up, you know, because, see, this is the thing. Um, You know, we're fighting for liberation over here. And what they're going to do is bring up history, and they're going to say, well, it was fine then, so why do you have a problem with it now? You need to be able to answer that question. You know, and, and what's interesting is, Basically, you know, it's going to get to the point where he's just going to outright tell black Americans to stop blaming history for the economic woes or the economic, you know, um, economic um, degradation that's happening in our communities. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? And so, again, you know, I'm going to go back to you know, the evil of capitalism or racialized capitalism, you know, this is a matter of institutional and systemic racism. And, you know, you have a bunch of Republicans, Libertarians, and some Democrats basically 
wanting to argue the merits of capitalism with us. And, again, you got to go back and look at the historical um, narrative about this and how the America, how America was built and what sustains our economy, the American economy. And this even beyond that, it's a global economy. And I just need for you to go back and do some reading and to get a better understanding. You know, and capitalism in general is not necessarily about the economy. I need you to understand that. It's not necessarily about the economy, but it's about a social system of class domination. So, again, white supremacy. It's about exploiting folks. You know, they no longer have the slaves, allegedly, but go and read and familiarize yourself with what's happening in American prisons, especially these private prisons and how they're utilizing the prisoners to work and make a lot of money. And with the contracts that have been drawn up with some, with some of the states, is even if they do not fill the beds of the, of the prisons, the private prisons, the state must still pay them, you know, the, the contractual obligation, you know, amount of money. And what's happening with Jeff Sessions is he reversed, he reversed some of the progress that was made by Barack Obama in regards to the relationship of private prison and states. That is being done deliberately. So you got to go back. You got to got to read. This is about exploiting people, exploiting labor. You know. Um, uh, commodified or commodifications by any means necessary. You know, this is the very foundation of how this country was built, and it's the lifeblood of our economy. You know, the global commo- the global economy. So, you know, I'm just I'm looking at it all, and so I want you guys to go and um, do some reading and get a better understanding as to how this is impacting this country, you know, how this is impacting communities of color, how this is impacting businesses in America, and especially with some women that have found, you know, found a way to establish businesses and some success via the Internet, net neutrality. You know, I need for you to understand how this impacts the stock market, how it impacts employment, how it impacts you and your family. You know, it's a quote from D.G. Kelly, and it talks about, and I'll read the quote, and it says, capitalism and racism did not break from the old order, but rather evolved from it to produce a modern world system of racial capitalism. You know, and, and that's true. You know, your white supremacists and Klansmen and white nationalists you know, of the day, you know, they fit into a stereotype. It's not like that anymore. They're wearing wingtips and tuxedos. Believe that. $2,000 pairs of shoes. And with this pinky in the brain administration, I mean, how much more proof do you need? 
And so what's interesting about, you know, Donald Trump and what's happening now is Donald Trump has managed, you know, not on purpose, but he has managed to unify and convince people of color and some white allies to organize together. If to do nothing else, they're going to condemn him. You know, and Donald Trump has managed to get Kim Jong-un to teach us new vocabulary words like dotard. And what's funny is Kim Jong-un speaks better English than Donald Trump. How about that shit? He managed to get himself banned from London, and, of course, he blamed Obama. You know, what's so funny about what Donald Trump has managed to do he has, and you know, I never thought I'd say this shit. He's managed to turn Don Lemon into Stokely Carmichael. How about that shit? You know, the other day when I saw Anderson Cooper quoting James Baldwin, I almost fell off the damn chair. You know, but most importantly, you know, Dick Durbin coming out talking about what Donald Trump had said during the meeting. Now, this is what's interesting. Donald Trump has managed to get white men to break the white folks' code of no snitching and tell everybody about the racist language that Donald Trump used. And if you notice, you have, like, um, Senator Cotton and Senator Perdue saying that, you know, they, they don't remember hearing that type of language. And then you have the director of Homeland Security, Kirsten and I'm going to kill that last name, so her, right, saying that that did not happen. And so what they've done is they've set up uh, basically uh, his word against his word. Well, we all know that Donald Trump is a pathological liar. And so it's interesting because Donald Trump has managed to, he has managed to have people believe that the truth is a lie and that the lie is the truth. You know, and that the lies that come from this pinky in the brain administration are alternative facts. You know, and, and and basically, you know, they're convincing people that truth is relative. I can see how some people can say that or see it that way. I guess they figure, you know, you can have your own, you know, everyone can have their own truth, but you don't get to have your own facts, right? And so... Just watch, because with this nationalism, this nativism bullshit they're putting out here, what they're doing is they're trying to return us back to isolationism. And that's not the first time this country has seen that. And when America was in that isolation you know, period of time, that is what gave rise to Hitler and Mussolini. And it's prime. Is prime right now, and and I'm waiting to see, you know, who's going to be the next fascist dictator or the next fascist despot that's going to rise in power from all of this fuckery. You know, Donald Trump has managed to get white supremacists to throw him parades all year round, all around the country, and, you know, I'm going to let this go because I don't want to get stuck on this. But I need for you guys to pay attention to these things. And what's interesting is today, you know, on the news, I saw, what's his name, Rand Paul. I always want to call him Paul Rand, but Rand Paul, right, our little libertarian friend. And he's out here trying to defend the shithole comments. 
And, you know, I had some other folks watching. I was watching it, and they were saying that, oh, well, who cares about the language and, you know, all of this. But anyway, the, the key word in this is that Rand Paul is a libertarian. I talk about the libertarians, and I come down hard on them. And, you know, I would suggest that you all familiarize yourselves with the history of these people. You know, and so the libertarians right now, this is like a fucking wet dream to them. And they're loving this shit. And they're loving the direction that this country is being led. And so what I don't understand are you black libertarians out there. The hell is on your mind? And I'm telling you right now, don't expect any sympathy from me because they're getting ready to pull a straight-up straight Jedi mind trick on your ass, you know. And next time you go to run and kick the ball, you're going to end up straight up on your back. I mean, we've all done that. We've all had that, you know, situation. But, yeah, I'm going to throw you under the bus each and every time. So I don't want you to be surprised, and that's that. Because, you know, I try not to do too many surprises around here. And I like to make myself really clear about where I stand and what I believe. And so it's interesting because Dick Durbin came out and basically snitched or tricked on Donald Trump. And, it's, you know, and you know, I think the white men are just outdone because, you know, he's not supposed to do that. But what's interesting is that you have, you know, you've had some other folks coming out and, and condemning the president, you know, other politicians condemning the president about this, you know, language, right? These are the same politicians that are going to go back and support his racist policies. So where is the land? They don't like his language, but they like his policies. I really want you to think about that. Because they're going to go back, they're going to continue to support his racist policies, and, and, and I don't understand why you aren't offended by that. And what's interesting is these, these politicians, you know, again, you know, they're not that fucking offended. They're not as offended as they try to claim that they are because you're continuing to advance his policies. You know, the problem is he's just not being polite, right? It's okay to be racist as long as you're polite and you show us that Colgate smile. At least that's what I'm hearing, and that's what this is looking like to me. And I'm just sitting back and I'm watching folks, you know, across the board, black, white, red, yellow, purple, talking about pray for Donald Trump. And I just got to tell you this. It's going to take more than a prayer. You know, all those other prayers that you sent up and your grandmama sent up, your great-great-grandmama and all of them, all those prayers that you all have sent up, you know, you would think with that type of, you know, power and prayer and a volume that this situation, you would think that this situation never would have occurred. You know, so you're going to have to do more than pray for this guy. You know, and I understand many of them believe that they're doing the right thing. And, you know, and also for some people that is all that they can do. And I get that. And I understand it. But I need for you to understand this yet again, and I'll state it again. 
People like Donald Trump and some of the other ones, they feel that their actions are moral and that black people and brown people and, you know, other people, that we don't know what's good for us and that they do. And so we should just allow them to do these things because they know what's best. You know, these are some of the same people that were saying that black people were more content and happy under slavery. You know, and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at some of these black Republicans and especially some of the young black Republicans. And you know what? I was one of them. And I've told you guys about this, so this should not come as a surprise. But, you know, um, yes, self-promoting, self-absorbed opportunists who will shuck and jive to get the scraps from the master's table, right? Have They have no problem dancing and singing for their meal. You know, and what's unfortunate is many of them are going to have to learn the truth the hard way, and it's unfortunate. And Daryl Scott needs to have several seats because when April Ryan was questioning the president after he signed the MLK proclamation and, you know, he turned his back to everyone and refused to answer questions, when April Ryan was asking the president if he was a racist, Daryl Scott took took it upon himself to answer for the president. She said, I'm not talking to you. But yet he felt empowered and emboldened enough to answer as though he was the proxy for the president. And you need to pay attention to this. This is one of y'all pastors I hear. One of y'all name it and claim it pastors. You know, Isaac Newton Ferris needs to take a stadium of seats as well, Right? You know, and I was sitting there and I was watching when he was talking, and I mean, just the arrogance. I mean, I'm not, you know what? I don't know if it was arrogance or constipation, but it was something going on with him. And again, you got to understand that these, some of these black republics, not all of them, but some of them, they they benefit from this. You know, where was Omarosa? I was looking for her. You know. Where was Omarosa? So it's it's been interesting, you know. And was you know when Donald Trump was talking about how God made everyone an equal, you know I don't even believe Donald Trump believes in God, you know, with his two Corinthian self, right? And I believe that Donald Trump and his sycophants, his ilk. They believe that they're being moral. They believe that they are doing what's best. You know, they want to say they feel like they're doing what's best for everyone, but they're doing what they feel is best for white men primarily. And you just need to understand that and you need to accept it. And, you know, the appeals to their morality is not going to solve this problem because, again, They believe what they're saying and what they're doing is moral. And this is not the end of the attacks. This is not the end of the bullshit. And I've been telling you guys, brace yourself, because it's getting worse. 
And again, I want to take you back to the psyche of Donald Trump. He is not in in control the way that he would like to be in control. And the closer they get to him and his family and his fortune and his history and everything that's going on with him, the angrier he is going to get, the more he's going to lash out. So I'm telling you to pay attention. You know, uh, so again, you know, they're telling their truth or their version of the truth. And who gets to determine what is truth or what's not true? But as they say, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? And so one of the biggest takeaways from this that I would like for you all to, you know, pay attention to is, again, Trump has the power to remove these people from the country. You know, he has the power to bring more white folks over into this country. And, you know, I need for you all to be realistic about this situation. You know, and for those of you that can only pray, I understand, do you. You know, but this is about to get, you know, uglier, right? And what's interesting, you know, um, talking about the Ally Theater is you have some white people, again, that are out here stating that they're outraged at the language that Trump used. But yet you still continue to support him and 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 in his agenda. And I'm laughing because there was an article that um was released last year, I believe it was last year, and it was talking about nine in ten black Americans believe President Trump respects people of color less than whites. Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. You know, so I just, I don't know. We're just living in this shit. We got to get through it. And um, it's not going to be easy. But yet you're going to have the ones, you're going to have people out there that they're going to pick up and tokenize and put up front and use as a shield. You know, and you need to pay attention to that. So, yeah, blackness, commodified, you know, commodified blackness, commodified, you know, Latinxness. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot happening. And it will be to your benefit to read up on, you know, these things. Um, I'm going to put another article out there, and the title of it is Expropri- <laughs> Expropriation and exploitation in racialized capitalism. And so this is a reply to Michael Dawson, and this was written by Nancy Frazier from the New School for Social Research. So, um, you know, I want you to go back, and I'm going to put this out here. And it's only a 16-page PDF, but, you know, there's some valuable nuggets of information out there. And so, you know, I'm getting ready to close out, but, you know, there are some things that I want to address, right? And so going back to the definition of racialized capitalism, 
This is one of the reasons why you'll hear us you'll hear us calling out white folks, especially some of the white feminists that take the words of women of color, especially black women, and 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 try to represent it as though it were their own words. And this happens often. And they capitalize on it. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about why it's troubling. And even with the, you know, again, that's with the social, that's, and that's the feminism and social justice. I've been in communities in which no one was talking about social justice, or I wouldn't say no one was talking about it. Let's say, you know, non-black folks weren't really talking about social justice until it started getting popular and catching on, and they figured out a way to capitalize on it. This is what we're talking about, as well as many other things, but I'm just trying to give you a better idea as to what I am complaining about, you know, and even with the LGBTQ community, it was black and Latinx trans people that actually started that movement. And what's so interesting is when you see these movies and documentaries about the LGBT community and the movements that have sprung from that, you have mostly white gay male directors directing these movies and telling the stories of people of color. And embedded in many of these these movies and documentaries is usually some shade thrown thrown in there. More tongue in cheek, but it's still shade. And so, you know, um, I brought up Cedric Robinson, and you know, I really would like for you guys to go out and read some of his work, read some of D. G. Kelly's work. You know, they've put out some good information over the years. And um, there's another article, and this is written by Andrew Wilkes, and it's over here on theguardian.com. And the title of the article is, From Black Messiah to Black Lives Matter, How Pentecostal Piety Can Reveal the Charade of Racialism. It's actually a pretty good article. You know, um, it's just it's just interesting. So, you know, it's talking about D'Angelo and his. So anyway, just go and read it. And you know what I'm focusing on is the Pentecostal piety, right? And you know the evangelical piety, I guess. You know, and what's happening, and how some of the doctrine and ideology that some people learn or derive from their religious experience, how it has created, cultivated, and fostered, you know, the dysfunction that we're living in right now. And so it's interesting when we start talking about white Christianity and the racism behind that, you know, I mean, it's evident. And I've talked about it so many times on this show you know, that I get tired of talking about it. But it's true. Go, and again, go back and read about, you know, white supremacy in the church 
And, you know, I want you to also go back and read about when new laws were put on the books regarding racial, um, you know, unrest or, you know, racial issues or what have you, one of the things that they would do is they would take that law and they would nail it to the church door. And so, you know, like I said before, you know, I'm not anti-religion. I'm not anti-theist. I'm none of those things. But we do need to acknowledge how religion is used to manipulate and exploit people. And a lot of that helped to elect Donald Trump. And these white evangelicals, they need to take responsibility for some of this. You know, where the hell was Paula White? Why wasn't she up there with the black people for the MLK proclamation when the majority of her congregation are black people? Did she agree with the shithole countries? Because Paula White, T.D. Jakes, so I need to bind them. You know, you got Rod Parsley, because i got to name some of the white ones so people won't get to tripping. You know, you got Franklin Graham, um, you know, just, just a shitload of them. And did I say Al Parsley? I meant Rod Parsley. You know, they the first thing they did as soon as they got the opportunity is they ran over to Africa to fleece those people of their money. And so what's interesting, you know, because I read that quote from Barack Obama regarding Africans and Africans blaming colonialism for, you know, their economical state, right? Um, there's a lot happening over in Africa. You know, you have these different countries investing in Africa and, and, and basically pillaging the resources in Africa. You know, China's there. You have a number of other countries, you know, that are there and making, you know, a lot of money, but yet many of them have not necessarily reinvested money in the country. Some have. You know, and and it's been interesting just watching all of this happen. But, um, yeah, you know, like I said, the article was talking about Black Messiah and D'Angelo. There are a couple of key points in there that I want you guys to, you know, take away. And the biggest key point is, is that considering the dysfunction in the culture that was being cultivated, you know, in this country, we were all expecting a social movement to happen. You know, basically, you know, Black Lives Matter, that particular movement, you know, some religious people would say, oh, it was prophesized, right? I would say, you know, it's a matter of history. And, again, we have the same situations, just different names, different years, different people in leadership. But um, you're going to see more. You're going to see more. And so, you know, I just need you guys to brace yourself as to, you know, what is upcoming because it ain't over. And the consequences, repercussions, 
of the Pinky and the Brain Administration is going to impact us for generations. And I need for you guys to know that and to understand, you know, what's happening because it's not going to change. And I really do believe it's going to get worse. And I've been telling you guys for a long, long time, prepare yourselves. And like I said last week, you may want to start saving some money and <laughs> because, you know, it's about time. It's about time for us to feel a hit economically. And so what's so interesting, I forgot what happened. I'm trying to remember. But something happened, and Donald Trump was saying, basically, you know, if it would have had a negative result on him, that he believes that the stock market would have tanked. And so I hate I hate the fact that I lost my track of thought so I can tell you exactly what he was talking about. I have to look around. I have to think about it. And when it comes back to me, I'll try to find an article and post it. But, you know, just the malignant narcissism of this man who believes that the market thrives or tanks based on his mood, based on his word, based on the fact that he merely exists. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Go and read some D.G. Kelly, some Cedric Robinson. Look up racial capitalism. It's, it's, you know, it's important that you understand that. It's important that you understand, you know, the naturalization acts that have happened in this country. Not only the one of 1790, there have been subsequent acts since then. You need to understand that, um, understand where you fall, you know, within these particular acts and what it took for certain people to be recognized as citizens. And what's interesting is that, you know, many of us that are recognized as citizens, they still do not recognize our humanity, and we have to stop begging for it. And that's what I consider you doing when you try to appeal to the morality of these people. They know exactly what they're doing, and they believe that what they're doing is moral which is why your arguments are falling on deaf ears. And so there was, um, let me see here, some, there was this article on PBS, and the name of this article is Every Moment in Trump's Charged Relationship with Race. Again, Every Moment in Trump's Charged Relationship with Race. This is on PBS. This was released August 22nd, 2017, right? And it was written by Lisa... Des Jardins, right? Go back and read this. And they've updated it after, you know, uh, Donald Trump referred to Haiti and other African nations and countries as shithole countries, right? So it's been updated, and this is really good, so I want you guys to go and read that. And, um, yeah, it talks about the history of Donald Trump and his dad in this country and their relationships with minorities, you know, or people of color. Because, you know, some people say we shouldn't call ourselves 
minorities anymore. So go back and read it, you know, read about what he, the ads that he put out for the Central Park Five, how he wanted them, you know, executed, and all of these things. So, and how he treated Barack Obama, you know, that birth certificate birtherism bullshit. And, oh, yeah, Sheriff Joe Arpaio is running for the Senate. How about that shit? And there was something else that happened in the last week that I wanted to talk about, but I can't freaking remember, right? And so, um, (laughs) you know, look it up. But I'm going to try to post this later on. I bought a subscription, or, yeah, subscription, or I bought a membership to Buzzer. So when I post these things, I can post it on several pages all at once. So that makes it a little easier for me to post all of this information. But, you know, it may be post overload. And so what's so interesting is, you know, there were some people that used to complain about my constant posting. And then when I stopped, now they're mad because I'm not posting that. So anyway, you know, Haitians, Africans, you know, the African diaspora, keep your head up. You know, this dude, he has power. So, I mean, you know, there's nothing I can say to take away that power. There's nothing I can say to take away from the fact that hearing this type of bullshit consistently and coming from a number of people, it does have an impact on our psyche. It does have an impact on how we see ourselves and each other. So when you have people out here telling you that words will never hurt you, that's bullshit and it's a lie. You know, and so it's extremely important that we get out here and we fight back against this. And there are a number of ways that you can fight back. You can write some editorials. You know, for those that want to tweet, you can do that. Those that want to blog, you can do that. Those, you know, I mean, protest in the way that's comfortable for you. You know, contribute what you can. It may not be money. It may not be a blog. You know, maybe you can only contribute a retweet. That's cool, too. You know, because everybody gets to play a part in this. So, um, yeah, go back and um, look at this shit. You know, because I'm still tripping, you know, about some of the things that he said. You know, and it's not funny. It's not funny at all. I'm just tripping because it's like you have all of these white people and some blacks that are acting surprised. This guy's been doing this shit from day one. You know, the only surprise to me is the fact that it took you this long to recognize this shit. That's what the hell I'm surprised about. So, you know, again, I'll tell you the names of the articles that I talked about today. Um, The U.S. has come a long way since its first highly restrictive naturalization law. Um, This is on a PRI.org site. It was written by Evan Taparada, right? Probably different than what I called it earlier. You know, I'm really bad with these names. Forgive me. 
Um, the other article, again, I just talked about this a minute ago on PBS, Every Moment in Trump's Charged Relationship with Race. Lisa, that's Jardins, right? The other article, what is this here? What does Cedric Robinson mean by racial capitalism? So um, this is Robin D.G. Kelly. I was calling him D.G. Kelly, but Robin D.G. Kelly. Go and read that good as well. Um, You have this other one, which is from UC Davis. The title is What is Racial Capitalism, right? And this was written by Ann O'Connor. Let's see here. This is a really good one. This is on Harvard Law Review, and this is titled Racial Capitalism by Nancy Leong. And, you know, I read like four paragraphs from that to you guys, but I'm definitely going to post that, you know, as well. Again, you know, from Black Messiah to Black Lives Matter, how Pentecostal piety can reveal the charade of racialized capitalism. Now, I didn't really get too much into this particular article because there are some things I agree with, there are some things that I don't, right? And so I didn't want to get boggled down in the minutia of that. But what I will say is I want you to go back and I want you to pay attention. You know, in this article, it talks about SNCC, um, Ella Baker, it talks about the radical Quakers that were abolitionists, you know, and 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 you know, um, and talks it talks about Bayard Rustin, you know, who was a Quaker, and so you know, it's talking about ethical humanism. It refers to Asa Philip Randolph, um, and for those of you that have been listening to this show for a while, you already know how I feel about these folks. Um, It talks about Fannie Lou Hamer and Miriam White Edelman. So, you know, while it's talking, you know, about D'Angelo's album, it's also educating you on these different people and their role in, you know, um, abolitionism, their role in the civil rights movement and, and how, you know, some of this is, you know, again, a repeat of history. Or some people would say it was prophesied. I mean, you know, you like it, I love it, whatever you want to call it, right? And so, you know, you got some people out here that are saying, you know, pray for them and, you know, give God control. And others, they're saying leave it to the universe, send out your positive affirmations and your positive thoughts and all of that. And, you know, you have you know, Dr. William Barber out here and a number of other um, ministers and theologians out here talking about this situation. And I guess one of the issues that I have is the fact that, you know, I'm trying to be delicate with this, you know, and, and talk about how some people are looking for a Messiah or some type of leader to deliver us out of this particular situation. And I need for you guys to understand, even with, you know, the last phase of the civil rights movement, and I'm talking about with Martin Luther King, you know, there was no Martin Luther King without Ella Baker. You know, there was no Martin Luther King without Daisy Bates. There was no Martin Luther King without Bayard Rustin. There was no Martin Luther King without Asa Philip Randolph. 
and on and on and on. And there was no movement without us. And I need for you to understand that. And so, you know, this is not about, you know, religious affiliation or ideology, you know, or, you know, religious salvation, none of that. That's not what this is all about. It's about we can all play a part, play a role in what's happening. And we have to do our part and start speaking up about all of these things. So, you know, with this particular article is talking about Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, and Pentecostal piety. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, with the conference that I went to, you know, black religious people were talking about, you know, they felt that it was unfair that folks were looking at them and asking them why they were not participating in this particular movement, not necessarily just Black Lives Matter, but just the social justice movement in general. And, you know, as I've stated before, the participation of the church now is really on par with the participation of the church then. So you need to go back and read some articles. As a matter of fact, look up Otis Moss, M-O-S-S, and he took Jeremiah Wright's place over at Trinity, um, at Trinity, not Trinity College, Trinity Church, right, T-U-C-C, which is here in Chicago, and Jeremiah Wright was Barack Obama's former pastor. And Otis Moss talked about the church picking up the mantle of Martin Luther King, and he broke it down. And he was talking about how the church bestowed upon itself the mantle of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement or the social justice movements that are coming, you know, that have been happening. However, they picked up the mantle not really fully understanding the weight and the responsibility of that mantle. And what's interesting is that you have some of them crying foul, but yet in the same breath you want to say, well, Martin Luther King was talking about the black church and speaking for us. That's not necessarily true. And, you know, the civil rights movement, you know, I used to say that it was a secular movement. And, again, when you know better, you do better. When you read, you get an understanding, and then you have wonderful people around you that are willing to correct you. And so, you know, now I say the civil rights movement was a people's movement. It was not a religious movement. It was not a secular movement. It was a people movement. And I think if we get back to that particular mentality, and again, as I've stated in the past, we have more in common than we do in differences. And working together, we will be able to move forward and we will be able to make some real progress. And so I just think it's important for you guys to know that, for you to understand that, for you to acknowledge that, you know, research is your friend Reading is your friend. I mean, hell, look at Donald Trump. And, you know, he doesn't read. He doesn't read. You know, I've been saying for a while that I thought that he was semi-literate. And also, you know, I 
I'm a big, big, big advocate for reading. And for some people, I know it's difficult, but you can buy, you know, audio books. You can do all of that. This is how you enrich yourself. This is how you educate yourself, you know. Um, so anyway, we're down to the last three and a half minutes. So, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you and think. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. It's a lot of stuff that is happening. But, um, you know, I think I was able to fit in a whole bunch of information in a short time span. And I know some of you all are like two hours. It's not a short time span. I know. I was trying my hardest to try to cut down on the length of these shows. But the platform that I want to bring up in January, you know, is looking like I'm going to have to push it back because, well, let's just say, some unfortunate bullshit happened and I got to deal with it. And until that is dealt with, you know, it's kind of pushing all of my shit back because I have no other choice than to deal with this madness. So anyway, I think that I read off all those articles. Uh, let's see here. Um, I think I got stuck on D'Angelo and moved on, but it's another article, and this is over in raceandcapitalism.com. And the title, title of this article is Expropriation and Exploitation in Racialized Capitalism. And it's a reply to Michael Dawson. This was written by Nancy Frazier for the New School of Social Research. And this is just a 15-page um, PDF. And it's a pretty easy read. You know, it's a good read, but it's a pretty easy read. And I don't think I gave you the information about this article. I just briefly mentioned it. But nearly 9 in 10 black Americans believe President Trump respects people of color less than whites. This was released December 10th, 2017, and this was written by Philip Bump. And so if you go over to the Twitter page, you know, I retweet a whole bunch of stuff. So, and you know, I've been more active somewhat on Twitter than on Facebook, but I've actually just been kind of busy with a bunch of other stuff and also with the illness, you know, sleep. And this time of the year is not very kind to me. So I'm dealing with those particular issues. So anyway, you guys, you know, I'm glad that I'm back. I want you guys to know that I missed you. And, you know, feel free to reach out. And, you know, but I can't even really say that. I don't be in Messenger often. And so, you know, don't take it personal. Please don't do that. Um, By nature... I'm an introvert, and so I don't do a lot of talking, you know, until I really get to know you, and then sometimes you have to say, shut up, Kim, right? So anyway, we are here to challenge you to think a little for yourself, not convert you. Today's show, Dear White America, Allied Theater, Tokenism, Exceptionalism, and Shucking. You can add met, um, meritocracy to that, you know, appropriation, a whole bunch of other shit, you know, that we're dealing with and, you know, excuses being used 
to tell us why we aren't being successful and also issues being used to basically shield other people from charges of racism and sexism. Look, y'all, read, Google, educate yourself, all right? So you all have a good rest of the Sunday. Have a good week, y'all. Bye-bye.